Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. I'm an author. I'm the host. I'm a lot of things. But today, I get to listen to Dr. Edwin Carlgen tell me about his books, tell me about everything that he has in these, and help me understand quite a bit about what valuable information is needed for a person to think about when dealing with the medical industry. There's a lot more to it than we normally think. His books are very helpful in that fact. So I encourage you to listen as closely and as well as you can. Try to get as much information out of this. And then you can also find his information on the show notes below, obviously. Authorblurb.com, which I have the profile of him and all the other guests that's been on there, along with all the podcasts. So if you're listening to this, you might be listening to it on that website, or you might be watching it on one of the video streaming portals that we have it on. I want you to enjoy and get as much out of this as possible. So remember, as I like to tell you, review it. Let me know what you think. You can email me if you don't want it to be public. The more you tell me, the more reviews you give, things like that. One, the reviews help people say, oh, this looks interesting. Let me see. And it also helps me say, you know, I'm doing good or I better fix this. So anything helps. and I'm always happy to see it. So if you get a chance, I encourage you to go authorblurb.com where you can find all the streaming services, all the video services, find information and articles written by the guests that I have on. It's just a plethora of information. So again, thank you. Enjoy the show and I'll talk with you afterwards. So I'm here with Edward. He's written two books. He's a doctor. He has a ton of knowledge. His two books, they're topics that are interesting and also an important topic to discuss. Instead of me going through this, can you describe a bit about yourself, a bit about your books and let people know what we're going to be getting into. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, and, and thank you for this opportunity. And I would like to welcome our listeners as well. And what i like to share with them is a little bit of my background. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, across the Hudson River from, from Manhattan, and our family had some difficult times, and we lived in a rooming house on 615 Hunterdon Street, which I still remember. And there was a gentleman who was an Eastern European immigrant named John Grabowski, and I still remember him. And I was about eight years of age, and my responsibility from my grandmother was to change the appliance on his abdomen, which collected the waste from his abdomen, because he had cancer of the rectum. And the management of cancer of the rectum in the early 1950s was very difficult and almost barbaric. And I knew when I was about seven or eight years of age, I would be dealing with cancer patients focusing on their end of life. Now, this is something that sounds like a movie, but there was an inspiration, uh, there was a power, there was an energy that said, okay, this is what you would do. So this took me to New York Medical College, the University of Michigan, the National Cancer Institute, and I've been a professor at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for 40 winters. Or winters are the unit of measurement here in the <laughs> And during that time, I became struck by the patients who didn't understand 
how they became ill, nor did they understand how to navigate the healthcare delivery system. And that led to one of our first books entitled How Not to Be My Patient, A Physician's Secrets for Staying Healthy and Surviving Any Diagnosis. This is a GPS, or this is a GPS of the soul to empower patients to work within the healthcare system to obtain the care that they need and deserve. In the 1930s, a play was written. It was entitled, and it, and it had to do with Over the Rainbow, that was the song, and the name of the play was The Wizard of Oz. And there's a phrase in that movie where Dorothy and her little dog Toto were swept by a tornado, and Dorothy says to her dog, Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. And we in healthcare are not in Kansas. And what I mean by that, there have been more changes in the delivery of healthcare in the past three years than in the previous 300 years, and these changes have been driven by COVID. So we as patients need to understand how the system works, how it doesn't work. We need to be technologically savvy. We need to understand the tablet. We need to understand the patient portal. And, and a guarantee for patients who read this book carefully and share it with their friends and families, they are empowered to make reasonable healthcare decisions and partner with the healthcare delivery system. And that's a guarantee. No one has a greater stake in our health and well-being than you and I and others. Mm -hmm. So that's your first book, the How to Become, How Not to Become My Patient. Yes. You have a second book called Farewell. Yes, sir. During my time at Mayo Clinic, I was the first Mayo consultant board certified in hospice medicine and palliative care. And that was way back in 1996. And for our listeners, there's a difference between palliative care and hospice. Hospice is a governmental benefit for individuals with an expected survival of about six months. Those individuals, if certified by their physicians, have a series of benefits which enhances their quality of life as their journey unfolds. So that's hospice. But palliative medicine is a branch of internal medicine focusing on the control of symptoms for patients and families. And during my time at Mayo, I've been touched by about 30,000 terminally ill patients. I sat at the bedside, I listened to their stories, and I heard their inspiring heroic journey. So this book, which is entitled Farewell, also a bestseller on Amazon, is a vital end-of-life series of questions and candid answers because many patients don't understand that they and their families need to take ownership at the end of life. We need to partner with the physicians and the nurses, but they need to understand they are in the driver's seat. They need to make decisions. And if they don't, those decisions will be made for them. So these two books are books of empowerment to help the patient and the family make the best decisions. Eric, it's like you and I visiting a financial planner or an attorney. We really don't understand the language. We are in a foreign land, just like Dorothy and just like her little dog. Mm -hmm. and going into a legal situation, we are vulnerable. We can do our homework. We can get on the Internet and learn about trusts and real estate and copyright laws. But we're in a foreign land. 
and sometimes we may not make reasonable decisions. So these books are written for civilians, they are through Amazon, they are online, and they can position patients and families to make the most important decisions of their lives. All right, so let's start diving into your books a little bit, if you don't mind. Let's start with How Not to Be Your Patient, because I think that would be the first ideal way to start. So with that there, is a lot of that focus on the medical side of things or the mental side of things, like the psychological side? Um, I should share with our audience, we didn't rehearse this, but I'm smiling because we recognize that there's a mind-body-spirit connection. We're not simply a heart, we're not simply a lung, but we are individuals. And we as providers need to understand the story of that patient. We need to understand where they live, what their values are. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I was asked to see a gentleman who was in his early 90s, and he had far advanced lung cancer and things were not going well. And sprinkled throughout the history was the word PhD. And I asked him, doctor, what was your PhD in? And he said, son, call me son, he said, have you ever heard of Los Alamos? Have you ever heard of the Enola Gay? Have you ever heard of the Manhattan Project? Have you ever heard of J. Robert Oppenheimer? And I said, yes, this patient, and nobody knew this, was one of the architects in the development of the atom bomb, which transformed the complexion of civilization. And oh, wow. And the Enola Gay was the name of the plane that mm-hmm. dropped the bomb on Japan. So all of a sudden, he was not simply a clinic number with a diagnosis. He was a part of history. And, and it was riveting to hear how he has struggled with that decision to develop that instrument over these last many, many decades. So we need to understand the value system of the patient and ask the patient, What keeps you up at night? What gets you out of bed on a Monday morning? I play the piano, and I've been practicing for about 16 years with the same teacher. And she says, I love you, baby, but you're not a meal ticket, and you better keep your medical license up to date. (laughs) At the piano, which I play periodically at the Mayo Clinic, people sit down on the bench next to me, and their stories unfold. Stories of regret, remorse, missed opportunity. I was good as X, Y, or Z, but then I made poor decisions and things did not work out well. But it just made me realize we are seekers. We want to be validated and acknowledged, and we have a soul. And if that soul is not acknowledged, those patients will not have peace. So in a sense, what these books provide is a biopsy of the soul. Okay. Every patient is a story, and now that COVID is becoming less of a threat, there's a hunger for people to share their stories, which were pent up since the winter of 2020. All right. So now with that, what do you think is the the strongest part to look at in that sense of, I guess, a better way of putting it for me instead of the way I was going is, what do you feel is the first and foremost thing that people should look for in your book, the how not to be a patient. They should look for a cookbook 
a recipe, a GPS of what they should expect from their healthcare provider. There are data that document that the amount of time that we as patients speak to our provider before we are interrupted is about eight seconds, eight seconds. So what we need to do as providers is simply ask the patient, what are you concerned about? What can we do for you? And then keep quiet because patients often don't have that opportunity to verbalize what they're concerned about. Let me share with you another story. There was a gentleman several years ago that looked like the bass player for ZZ Top. <laughs> okay. Good. And he had a serious medical problem. So we talked about a problem and how we can manage that. And then he started to cry. He was convulsively tearing up. And I've learned to simply keep quiet and make sure that the tissues are nearby. And then he went on to share with me that he was concerned about dying and leaving his wife to be cared for by someone else. So that's why we have to ask the question directly or indirectly, what keeps you up at night? What are you most concerned about? And for many individuals, it's the threat of being forgotten, the threat of becoming anonymous, the threat of not knowing who will show up at my funeral. So we need to plan ahead. And part of the book also focuses on the need for responsible estate management. Now, I don't pretend to be an attorney, but I do understand that we all have assets, some are more than others. And if we don't seek the input of credentials, legal advice, those assets may evaporate. And that's probably not the right thing to do. Oh, I understand. And in fact, that's something that even at my age, I've gotten into talking with my financial advisor and a couple lawyers to get everything set up because you never know what's going to happen. Yes. And I imagine it's more closer to home for the people that are more focused in your book and in the industry you deal with. Yes. So what are some some features or some things in your book that you feel would help people when addressing providers? Do you have any quick hints that people can look in, look at, or do you have any quick little notes to, for them to think about? Yes. Eric, to piggyback on your comment, medical encounters are stressful. I'm a patient. You're a patient. We have a concern, and there's always an uneasiness about seeing that provider. So it's crucial to have a pen and write down the three key concerns because you get in the room, they take your blood pressure, they take your pulse. It's very intimidating and we will forget those major concerns. So it might be a cough, it might be a shortness of breath, it might be no energy, but write it down. Otherwise we'll walk out of the room and not ask for those issues to be addressed. Number two, seriously think about someone to come with you to the medical encounter. This is someone who acts as a translator, someone who acts as an interpreter, someone acts on our behalf. They can reinterpret, they have a lens. So on the way home, we now know that patients remember about 5% of what's shared with them in a high stakes environment. So that friend, that spouse, that partner could say, well, uh, Eric, what I heard the doctor say was, my interpretation of the nurse practitioner was, and that way we can have a better understanding 
of what the options are and what, what the prognosis. So number one, write it down. Number two, have a list. And at the same token, bring someone with you to the encounter. Equally importantly, don't hesitate to get on a responsible website and find out something about your condition. Let's suppose it's heart disease. Let's suppose it's a broken leg. Try to understand what's written on responsible websites so at least we know what questions to ask and know what to expect. You should be treated with compassion and dignity and respect. You should have an understanding of what the provider's talking about because medicine is a foreign language. And you should know, do I need a CAT scan? Do I need an MRI scan? And equally importantly, how do I get my results? Who do I call four o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday if I have a serious problem? So you need to figure this out in the light of day after a cup of coffee and a good night's sleep. I understand. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of information in that book alone to help people guide through any issues they might be having or concerns so that they can address medical life a little bit easier. Yes. So how about Farewell, your, your other book? Farewell, again, reflects conversations at the bedside with about 30,000 terminal ill patients. And what patients need to understand is what they are buying from treatment. If I have surgery, what are the consequences? If I go through chemotherapy and radiation, what are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks? What are the benefits? If I had certain cancers, I would not be enthusiastic about going through surgery, chemo, and radiation, knowing that the chances of cure are perhaps less than 5%, yet the chances of complications may be 80 to 90%. So patients need to understand that the treatment of symptoms is a reasonable thing to do rather than becoming embroiled in the overwhelming hassles of surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Ask the provider, Dr. Smith or Nurse Jones, what happens if I don't do anything? I also would stress to the patient, because of the internet, it's like finding diamonds in Des Moines, Iowa. It's like striking gold in Montana. There are no secrets. And most cancer treatments are nationally orchestrated. So a treatment in Peoria would be essentially the same as a treatment in Paducah, Kentucky, or Pasadena. Now, admittedly, there'll be subtle differences, but the basic treatment would be fundamentally the same. So there's little merit to spend a lot of energy, a lot of time, and a lot of money flying all over the globe looking for that savant who will have the solution to our issue. So be empowered, take charge, but by all means, towards the end of life, have someone with you that can understand your concerns and know your values. Along the same line, we need to understand this business about resuscitation. If you and I and patients have no reasonable probability of benefit, do we want to be placed on a breathing machine, a kidney dialysis machine, and fed through a tube in our stomach? These are intensely personal decisions, and many times the input of a spiritual guidance, a rabbi, a priest, a minister, a shaman, might provide some comfort and direction during some very dark days. 
So does your book farewell address like the do not resuscitate? A lot of times if you want something like that, you have to get a document of some sort or you have I think there's something you have to do to make it legal so that they don't resuscitate you. Uh, that's an excellent point. Uh, there are documents called advanced directives. Every hospital has these. Advanced directives are a two-part process. Number one, who speaks for us if we cannot speak for ourselves? Lord forbid, you're driving home, I'm going back to the hospital, we have a collision, and we cannot speak for ourselves. Who knows our values? Who speaks for us? And that person's name should be written in the medical record. Otherwise, families are torn apart not knowing who should make those tough decisions. So, and that person is called a proxy or a surrogate. So in our advanced directives, on behalf of myself, my wife Peggy, she speaks for me. In some other relationships, it might be a partner, it might be a business associate. But if that person's name is not written down, the legal consequences can be devastating. So the first part is the name of that person. The second part, what level of aggressiveness do we want to sustain ourselves? So if, excuse me, in my advanced directives, it is crystal clear. If I am in the hospital for 30 days and the healthcare team gives the opinion that there's no reasonable probability of cure or benefit, we have the legal document with my wife's support that these mechanical interventions would be discontinued. So the respirator would be turned down, the feeding tube would not be operative, the kidney dialysis machine would be stopped, and we would only continue medications for comfort, for pain, for shortness of breath, for bowel function, and we would not become embroiled in some complex antibiotic treatment. So advanced directives. And if our listeners take anything away from this program, think about advanced directives a living will is another term mm-hmm. us that's a person and secondly what level of aggressiveness of care do we want all right so let me ask this then let's say we're you're heading to the hospital i'm a, i'm from virginia and i'm traveling for work in your hometown and we accidentally collide yes i'm far far away from home obviously what what do I need to do to make sure that my advanced directive, my living will, all this stuff is honored, even if I'm not right by my house, even if I'm halfway across the country? That's the million-dollar question, and, and thank you for asking that, because all of us should have a home medical record. This could be in Mongolia. This could be Virginia, Oklahoma. So if you're in a serious problem, where you will not get better, your spouse, your family, your partner would know where those records are. And with obviously PDFs and other technology, those records can be forwarded in a click of a mouse to your providers wherever. Otherwise, families will have to speculate. What did Eric want? And if it's not written down and there's not a unified discussion among the families, this can drag on in court and it becomes a, a a catastrophe. So those records are transportable across state lines. Now, let's suppose you're wintering in Arizona, as often happens for people in Minnesota. Just be certain that your records are up to date. 
but there's no question the doctors here at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota would honor your wishes, even though the records were written in Virginia. All right. So basically, it would be the family's responsibility to get those records over so that everything is followed through. Yes. Okay. The records would be honored by your care performers in the city where the accident occurred. Yes. Understand. Now, do you, your book, I believe it also addresses those final questions that you should be asking right before death, when you're preparing for death, things like that. Does it not? Absolutely. Because many patients have a need to unburden themselves from some events in their life. And in a sense, I've heard somewhat bedside confessions of the mistakes we've all made, the business issues, the relationship issues. And patients really have a need to close the chapter, to connect the dots, and to move on. And I think this is where a spiritual advisor may be of value if the oncology doctor or the hospice doctor is not comfortable. But usually in a hospice, there are spiritual advisors who are specifically trained to address these issues. And in terms of these questions, what patients often say, thank you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I forgive you, just to have some closure. Because when there is unanswered issues that are never reconciled, families can hold those burdens with them for, for the rest of their lives. And I think of a, of a business relationship that went south or someone felt unfairly treated in dividing up farm animals or equipment. So I think we really need to think long and hard about mending those fences before we pass to the other side. All right. And do you have any suggestions or any points of like focus that people should have when they're trying to think of those topics to address? So... I mean, there's a lot of different areas that people are going to let their minds wander. I mean, I've honestly thought of more questions that I could probably never get answered or attempt to address in just a little time. I think rather than being vague, I think we need to think of a person. And everyone has a person in our family, in our lives, that we could have done better by. Maybe this was a former partner. Maybe this was the prodigal son. Maybe it was a business relationship that, that could have gone better. And I think if we don't somehow connect the dots and provide forgiveness and ask for forgiveness, those burdens can absolutely crush the soul as we pass on. And interestingly, I never hear individuals sharing with me their successes. No one ever said, I hit a home run. I was the first round draft pick. No one ever says that I had a big boat or I had a number of franchises. What they share with me, their regrets, the remorse, and the missed opportunities. All right. So basically, while you have the chance, make sure you don't have any regrets and address everything you can. Absolutely. You know, I think of Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. <laughs> Good song. A few, and then a few too many. Um, so I, I think we need to think, before that curtain comes down, before the house lights are dimmed, who is it? that we need to forgive, and who is it for whom we can ask forgiveness? All right. Well, that sounds very interesting and very in-depth. So what I want to do is, before I let you go, I don't want to take up your entire day. I have a weird feeling that I could actually dig a lot deeper into this and 
sometimes just digging down certain rabbit holes that never have a bottom isn't the best idea. <laughs> so with that being said, I would like to tell everyone that you have a profile on authorblurb.com where it has your website and your social le- media links as well as your book and some information on you. Where do you most likely prefer people to go find you? What's the best way to reach out to you if somebody has questions or if they want to keep tabs of your books and what you're doing? Sure, thank you. Uh, our website would be a wonderful resource, and that's www.askaskdoctor.ed.com. And there is a function, an easy-to-use function, to send a message to me about an issue, a point of clarity. I tweet every day at Edward Cragen. I've launched about uh, probably 4,600, close to 5,000 tweets. And the interesting thing, Eric, through the messaging function on Twitter, I have a following of individuals of privilege, prosperity, and prominence who share their concerns. And, And what I've learned, we're all human, and regardless of the name tag, Regardless of the zip code, we're all pilgrims seeking peace and comfort uh, during some very challenging times. So ask Dr. Ed, AskDrEd.com and also Twitter at Edward Craigan, and I'd be happy to get back to our listeners. Sounds perfect. And I'll have all that in the show notes as well. That way somebody can be able to just copy and paste it. If they're listening or watching, they can take that right from there. Yes. So, I appreciate you being on. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else. But for you and I, we'll talk a little bit after. Sure. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Be safe. Thank you. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this is recording. Should be now. Transcripts are working. All right. So, you listen to the episode. You listen to everything that doctor had to say. I mean, like I said... It was quite extensive, quite informational. It's well worth it. I find that his information he gave is valuable in that area. If you're looking for medical, if you're looking for something to help you figure out what you're doing and answer questions you might have. So you have his website. It's in the show notes below. It's also at at authorblurb.com on his profile. I hope you feel free to reach out to him. Reach out to me at authorblurb.com or rate and review. Always a helpful thing to do as well. The more you give me to know what I'm doing, the better. Go to authorblurb.com. I'm going to say it as much as I can so that you do go there and enjoy every bit I have. Articles from the authors, profiles are there. I try to give you as much as I can so this allows you to find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share their information or just get as much from them as you can. So thank you. I appreciate you being here and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode. I'll keep trying to improve the show. I'll keep trying to give you the best quality of everything I'm doing. And until we talk again, take care of yourself.